0: Welcome to Split Happens, the Divorce Down Under podcast where we talk about anything and everything family law related. Welcome to Split Happens, the Divorce Down Under podcast with me, Alex, and my fellow lawyer, Liza. Liza, Today, there's a topic that you mentioned to me that we might have a bit of a chat about, which is buyer's remorse. So what do you mean and what's the context for a family lawyer when somebody's talking about buyer's remorse?
1: Okay, so I'm not talking about picking the wrong partner because thats I think they're all probably going to be privy to that ex- experience. <laughs> that, that's a get, that's, isn't it, doing what we're doing? You know, if you're in a family law dispute, then there's a ch- good chance that you've suffered some kind of buyer's remorse. But as far as what I'm talking about here is, say, for example, you've agreed to a, an order, whether it be a property order or a parenting order, and you then want to change your mind for whatever reason. You might have felt pressured. You might have felt like you weren't really with it You or you just weren't happy with it or it's the same thing. I know myself, you go and buy something and you might have spent way too much money and you think it's great at the time. And then you sleep and we have a restless night's sleep that night going, oh dear, I shouldn't have bought that. I really need to take that back. So that's the sort of feeling that people often have after they've agreed.
0: And so this is in the context of you've worked through the issues with your ex and there's been some settlement agreed. It might be money or it might be the parenting arrangements, but you've slept on it and it's like that extravagant purchase. You think, oh, that was a mistake. Shouldn't have done that. So how do you unravel something that you've already agreed?
1: It's not very easy. That's the short of it. Okay.
0: Does it? I suppose it does depend as to what stage the agreement has reached. If it's been absolutely finalised and then cast as you know, court orders, that's going to be presumably the toughest type of thing to set it aside? Is.
1: So if you've got a final order that's been made by the court or at least an order, a document that is signed and ready to be filed as a final order, you're going to be in a bit of trouble.
0: What sort of circumstances might I be able to unravel that thing?
1: Okay, so there is a number of different ways. First of all, it might be if, for example, you were under any real duress or undue influence. Now, uh, that sometimes is—it's a very subjective thing, and people will confuse being a place under duress uh, with just being reality checked. So you might have your lawyer or a mediator during a mediation who goes through the document with you and says okay what if what if you didn't get this and a court's most likely going to say th- you know that you're going to have 50-50 times what's the what is the harm in having that sort of arrangement in place and then you might at the time think oh, okay fine I'll go with that Yep, that makes sense but then afterwards you might think that I felt like I was pressured at the time when I look mm. back on it but, but I'm not too sure if that's going to be enough to get you over that hurdle. Because just
0: feeling regret and wishing you'd had something slightly different isn't really going to open up the legislative pathway to you anyway because Family Law Act have, has got a couple of provisions depending upon whether you're married or whether you're de facto. But there has to be a miscarriage of justice, doesn't there?
1: There does. and, and
0: it's Whether yeah. or not it's – if somebody's been – out and out fraudulent in getting you to agree to something, then that, that opens up that opportunity yeah. for you clearly. But you're right. If your remorse, your buyer's remorse after the orders have been made is really to do with you really wanting to revisit those arrangements, that's not really in enough itself, is it?
1: I find it much more difficult to, have, to revisit the parenting orders than it is to the property orders. With property, you can maybe suggest that the documents that were provided weren't true or they weren't clear or... Something was not understood. There's mm. when you've got valuations or a lack of valuations. Yeah, So, say, hang on a minute. I, I agreed to that fifth that split on the basis that was worth X amount of dollars, but I've later found out that in, that it was in fact worth a lot more.
0: Yeah, so that's the suppression of evidence rule, yeah. isn't it? So if somebody deliberately hides information that's really relevant to so you making your mind up about that deal, yeah, that could be a
1: big problem. Yeah,
0: you bring an application to set aside those court orders. I realise this is yet more money that somebody's going to throw at a court case. But if we're talking about significant differences of value and money, it's, it may very well be worth your while.
1: Yeah, that's and a lot of the time it is because we're talking about cases where they've said, oh no, I've only got X amount of dollars. I've only got $300,000 to pay you and you'll have to wait 6, 12 months for that even. And so people say, okay, I'll settle on that. And it happens in commercial matters all the time. People in like civil litigation, you'll make a judgment call as to whether or not you might think, okay, I can pursue this person for this debt or this amount that I say is owing. And it may be that there's no, you might be wanting to sue a company and that company may have no assets Mm. or you may think that they have no assets. And so you're making that commercial decision at that time. You say, I'll take what I can get, even though technically I probably should be entitled to more for the fear of. There not being any money at the end of that, at the, no pot of gold at the end of that rainbow, and and then losing out everything, and that's what often happens in family law cases as well. So you'll have, particularly in a property dispute, you might have a party that's there's a power imbalance there, and one one party might say, "This is all I've got. This is all I can get," and you might know that, or you might have concerns that that they can in fact get more, and that they will be getting more money. In, in that case, I'd probably be saying just hold out and don't necessarily agree to, to taking that to what we could... Settling in the true sense of the word where someone says, oh, I just settled for this amount. I settled for less than what I was really wanting to get. So you need to be really careful when you go into those sorts of negotiations that you are sure about the, the true position of the other party and also the true position of the total value of your assets and, and liabilities because if there's a difference there that agreement can be unravelled very quickly.
0: So really, the, be- the better path to take is one of prevention rather than cure, as in all cases. Yeah. So yeah. when you are going into those negotiation processes, if you are uncertain about the valuation or the, what things are worth, whether it's an asset or a liability, then be cautious. I mean, it, again, it's about being reasonable and practical. If you have a relatively modest property pool and there's no complexities to that, then seeking extensive disclosure above and beyond that that you're obliged to give under the rules, it's probably going to cause problems anyway. It's likely to push away the deal forever and ever in a day because there's never going to be a perfect time. But if somebody has given full and frank disclosure, then proceed. But if they haven't, maybe you need to say, we'll take a step back from that negotiation process. We'll get those valuations organised We'll make sure that everybody knows the true financial position of the other. And if you've got any questions, then ask them in advance of whether it's a mediation or a negotiation or a proposal. There's more than one way to skin a cat these days, as we know. Going to court is often the last option. It should be. But going through a negotiation process even, because a court order being made by the court will require you to fill in an extensive application form. It runs to about 27 pages, I think, from memory. And in that, a registrar who's looking at it is going to look at the part of the statement of truth that you each will have to sign effectively saying that, yeah, you're satisfied with the information you've been provided. So make sure that you are actually satisfied with that. And if you're not sure whether you should be signing into signing documents to settle your case, maybe go and have a look at that statement of truth page on the application for consent orders and just read it carefully. Think, am I really saying that this thing's true? I have read those sections or had, the, had my lawyer explain them to me. Because whilst you can certainly make applications to set aside orders, you know, you can do that under 79, capital A, or you can do it under section 90SN, you've still got to go through that process with a court. You've got to explain to them why it is that you say that the orders were reached by fraud or duress or some suppression of evidence or something else that the other person's done or hasn't done. And that's an expensive process. If you lose that case, you could end up paying not only your costs, but their own, uh, but the other That's side's costs That's a really good too.
1: point though about that statement of truth, because it may be the case that there is a, a huge difference between what the truth is in terms of a value of an asset and what, what was put down as being the value of the asset. The court's going to want to know, why did you just sit here? Come to the court with clean hands. You need to make sure that you have satisfied yourself that they are in fact the true figures and that... It, because otherwise, you're, you've just told the court, no, I believe that they're true. And now you're going to ask the court to say, no, actually, I didn't really look. So I think
0: it's a reasonable request to the court to say, please explain, how did yeah. you come to sign off this statement of truth that caused us to exercise our discretion? You have to take a bit of responsibility yourself. Now, th- there can certainly be circumstances where if you are being railroaded into something terribly and it's all happening at a rate of knots, you may have to rely upon somebody too much. That's a risk. One thing that I am cautious about is when people are desperate to sign up on these documents and they make appointments to see solicitors at the 11th hour and say, oh, you've just got to sign it in front of me. And I say, that's absolutely not what's got to happen. I need to understand that you understand what you're getting yourself into here.
1: That's what people often don't get. They think, oh, no, I just need, I had one recently, they thought that they could just... Get me to do the advice and take about fifteen minutes to give them some advice, and then fifteen <laughs> minutes to sign off on the document. And I said, no, that's not the way it's going to work. Yep. Oh, I don't care if it's if the advice isn't really thorough. I just need it done.
0: Our insurance, Sorry. our insurers are currently yep. rolling their eyes, going, "Oh my goodness me!" But we don't sign off on those no. things. I refuse to no, take same. those instructions. So, but I've just opened up that document. Actually, this is the consent orders application form, and the it's on pages twenty. 4 and 25, That these are the statement of truths. And this goes through, and look, I won't bore you with, I won't read it number to number, but there are 12 separate things that you're declaring to the court as being truthful. So before you start thinking about, oh, I didn't like that, I've got some settlement blues about it, make sure that when you look at that statement of truth that you've ticked off, make sure that you haven't misrepresented yourself to the court in those things. So you're saying that you've obviously read the application form. It's an obvious thing to say, Some people just will sign any documents put under their nose. It's important to go through that form and read each page. If you've got any questions, you don't sign it. You make sure that you've read the proposed orders. Make sure you understand what they are. If you don't understand them and your solicitor can't explain them to you properly, don't sign them because you don't know what you're signing up to. They've got to be agreed by everybody. You can't force the other person. You can't hold their hand over like Cromwell was alleged to do over the the death warrant for King Charles (laughs) I. You can't do that. They must make their own informed consent to those orders. And obviously, you can get legal advice. Not everybody who settles their their property settlements with their partner need to engage solicitors and have a big old battle. But be aware that you're saying, yep, I know I can get legal advice. And sometimes, get it, it might be appropriate. If it's a complicated matter, if you're not sure, is this the right deal for me, what will be the consequences, then definitely go and seek advice from a family law solicitor. Then we need to think in terms of whether you're going for parenting orders or whether you're going for financial orders, and maybe it's both. You should at least familiarise yourself with what the legislation says. You're going to be asked in that form to say, yes, I have read the sections in the legislation. Now... As a matter of form, I always provide my clients with copies of those sections before they sign anything so that I make sure that they've had the opportunity and I ask if they've read it. If they haven't, I'll go through them with them. So it's to make sure that they've actually had the opportunity. I think too many people will just tick those things off. And quite rightly, the courts will later on, if you bring a 79A or 90SN application, turn around to you and say, you did say that you'd read that. That's right. You say you've understood it. Why should we now think that you don't? It's the contradictory evidence that you're now saying, oh, no, actually, what I said before wasn't truthful, but what I'm saying now is. So please let me revisit this bargain that I now think to be a bad one. Anybody listening in will probably pick up the fact that Liza's a little bit tongue-tied today because she's got a very sore throat and she's been struggling with a cold and has very manfully, if I can use that expression, come in to do the podcast anyway.
1: Oh, look, that's all right. Now, on that note, though, (coughs) with the... With that, reading the sections, what I like to do is I often put it in my correspondence to my client and set it out and explain it. Some people might think, oh, I don't ask for that advice. But you we've c- got to give it to you. So, do,
0: because if you want to do consent or yeah, you've got to sign that form, you've got to say, I have read this
1: stuff. Yeah. So if you want to settle your case, we've got to give the advice to you.
0: Yeah. And taking time over it as well is very important. Aside from setting aside court orders, of course, people oftentimes these days will resolve their financial matters by a financial agreement so that you sort out your property affairs privately but with a quasi-contract that's written under the Family Law Act called a financial agreement. Now famously there was a a case a few years ago that went all the way up to the High Court because you you mentioned duress a few moments ago and that was Thorne and Kennedy. It was in fact a Gold Coast case from our neck of the woods and as far as I understand it the authoring firm isn't around anymore but I won't give any names out as far as that's concerned but This was a case where there was a great imbalance of power between the parties, one being the extremely wealthy property developer husband, and the other party being his proposed and intended wife who was moving to Australia from overseas, who was doing everything at the instruction and behest of the husband, and his solicitors, who put upon her a financial agreement, and it was conveyed to her, as I understand it, that she needed to sign the document. She needed to agree to receiving what was going to be ultimately a very bad bargain for her in the event that their relationship floundered. She got some excellent advice from a practitioner here on the coast, which was to the effect of this is the worst agreement I've ever seen, proceeded to sign it anyway. And when the marriage broke down later on, I think then it became partially an estate matter as well with the fellow's children, but The High Court looked at it and said the circumstances in which she was pressured into signing this, the time that she had available to read it, was all inadequate. She said, "Yeah, she refused to accept the perfectly good advice about not signing it, but signed it anyway." Still, the agreement was set aside, and we never know. We never quite know how the the final breakdown was done because that's not part of the court's reported decision. It's not the relevant part. The relevant part is, as you were saying, about duress. So, if somebody is really squeezed into signing an agreement and they really feel uncomfortable, they haven't had the time to consider the advice they're given.
1: Do you know what? Pressure. There's a really common thing that I find in a lot of property cases is that one party will say, if you don't sign it, I'm not going to continue to pay your rent. Arban Legal is proud to sponsor Split Happens. You'll be in safe hands with Arben Legal. For all your family law needs, call us on 07 444 or visit our website at arbanlegal.com.au There'll be yeah. parties are living separately and usually the ink, the rent for the other party is often still being paid for by the money maker of the household.
0: Yeah, the person in control of the money is usually the one applying the pressure.
1: Yeah, and that's a big one that I find that people just have. I have a good friend of mine. She had the similar sort of thing. She had. She actually ended up signing mm. off on these property orders years ago, and um, they weren't in her favour. But she agreed to it because she had very little option. The rent was the lease was coming up um, for renewal. She had no income husband was paying the rent and he said, "We're well, not going to renew this lease and I'm not going to do anything unless you sign off on these property orders. And so she did. But and she didn't know me back then. So <laughs> I would have had something else to say.
0: So you have somebody in her corner like you. But it is, if you are ever having these documents thrust under your nose in those circumstances, just grab them, bolt out of the door and get some quick advice yeah. from somebody practicing in family law. And Be prepared for them to push back on your behalf and say, no, we're going to take some time to make sure this is done properly. That old expression, you do it once, do it well. And that sometimes means stepping back, not allowing yourself to sign to get it all over with and done with. Because we all know from our experience, somebody agrees something at mediation and then they reflect upon it and days go by, weeks go by, months or even years go by and they're constantly revisiting it in their mind, thinking, I wish I hadn't signed that. And some people will challenge it, and they'll fail. Occasionally, people will challenge it, and they've got legitimate reasons to challenge it. But just changing in mind, that's not a good reason. Being under pressure and being forced to make a decision, that may be enough. That may make out the duress for you that you need. If you find out that there is there are a couple of dollars down the back of the sofa that you didn't know about, that is, in theory a misrepresentation, but it's not material. If you're going no. to challenge it needs to be a lot. it needs to be significant, in, in proportionate to the amount of the money that's being dealt with, but it needs to be significant. Otherwise, you're going to throw good money after bad. Sometimes, if you make a bargain that's not quite as great as you maybe later wish it had been, you might be better off to suck it up and move on with your life because a court, if it has approved those orders, has already considered that it was fair. It was within that range. That's right. So just rethinking it internally, maybe not the way to go. Look, And if you're really unsure, then, of course, go and get some good advice from a local family law practitioner near to you or give us a call or drop us a note in the comments and we'll we'll point you in the right direction. Okay, that's more financial stuff. So the other part of the settlements that we do are property and then parenting. So parenting, children's orders to a lesser extent, parenting plans, but let's assume that you go through a process with your ex and you say, okay, we've worked out the arrangements for the children, we've written them down, where do we go from there? Let's start with the more flexible, the informal one, a parenting plan.
1: Okay, so the, you've got the parenting plan and you've both signed off on it and you're both, at the time, think that you're going to be okay with it and then a week or two later, you go, oh, I, don't really, I don't really like how this is working out. Not advice, but it's the reality is that parenting plans are not enforceable, so do what you like.
0: Which, as Liza quite rightly just said, that is not legal advice. This is just by way of general information because every case is different. That's right. Parenting plans are not enforceable. You can't compel somebody to do what's said in that order. Look, sorry, those plans. It's great if you have a relationship of trust with your ex. You may not be best friends anymore, but you can trust each other to be... do the right thing by those agreements with your children then by all means a parenting plan might be great for you it might work out for everyone and it does in, in some cases
1: it'd be but like that as i was talking to you about ben affleck and Jlo and jennifer <sighs> garner that sort of dynamic because clearly they seem to get along quite all right there are jennifer garner's out there with Jlo's daughter and all that sort of stuff so they all seem to be playing happy family so it might be that in that case, the parenting plan would be really appropriate.
0: If you can work with your ex and your ex's new partner, then you know, kudos to you and it'll be great for the children and well done in squeezing in some celeb goss type thing in there of which I'm looking at you blankly because I'm not much of a one for the, the sort of pages in the paper. Not that we have papers anymore. but it's
1: a call, I think it's called the Daily Mail these days on Facebook, <laughs> that's about it. It's about the extent of my, my investigations, but anyway...
0: Other episodes will follow where we might talk yeah. about more of what happens to the social media circus and things in the media around family law. But let's go back to changing parenting orders then. Because of a parenting plan, you can replace that by just putting a line through something, writing the alternate arrangement, both initialing it and saying, OK, that's the new parenting plan. You can yep. just, It's a bit like a will. You, know, you can just keep updating it and updating it to suit the circumstances. Yep. But again, it's when you're getting on OK yeah. with the other parent. That's when parenting plans work well. Parenting orders, on the other hand, you may have had to fight long and hard to get those or you may have reached them by consent. From the court's perspective, they've applied the same discretion before making the orders which is, are the proposed orders, were those orders in the best interest of the children? So at the time that they were made, you've both effectively said yes they were or the judge has said these are in the best interest of the children. So how would I overturn... Final parenting orders.
1: There needs to be a significant change in circumstances. Now, what that means, who knows? It's going to be depending on the judge a lot of the time. But it's things like, say, for example, you have a parenting order in place and it might be for there to be 50-50 time, week about time. But one party, dad, just in this case, say, for example, has got a new job and he's now moving interstate and he needs to have some other arrangement in place and the parties can't actually agree on that new arrangement. So it's you've got this threshold issue of whether or not there's been a significant change that warrants that variation to the orders because obviously that current order of 50-50 is not going to work. Dad needs to move for his work and he's, it's not necessarily going to be a, a big dispute but there's still, unless they can just simply agree on the new regime, then it's not going to be a very straightforward process. You need to actually convince the court, first of all, that there is that significant change. And then once you've established that, then you can entertain the, the proposals. But the reason behind that is that the courts want, the courts see these orders and coming to court is a place of last resort. And they think that part of the best interest of your child is served by not litigating.
0: Yeah. yeah and I doing
1: think- all things possible to ensure that everything does not happen, nothing comes back to court where, you know, you've got a final order, the courts aren't really going to interfere with that, particularly when they've considered what the best interests of the child were and there needs to be some significant change to what what those mat, fa- facts, matters and circumstances were at the time com- compared to now. Little things like, I don't know, little Johnny doesn't really like going, wants to play soccer on the weekends when he's meant to be with dad. I don't think that's a significant change. if
0: if the child sees the light and actually wants to play football then then absolutely I think that's significant but maybe not as far (laughs) as a family law (laughs) judge is concerned but you're right where the best interests are actually written down in the legislation in the family law act which is what we're talking about here one of the considerations a judge has to have when making final orders for children about their best interests is what's the order that's going to be least likely to need further litigation in the future. It's about getting some finality. Of course, kids shouldn't be locked in litigation battles for any period of time, but if they are, make it as succinct as possible and make it so that the orders are not likely to be overturned. But, of course, life gets in the way, and the case that you've been describing without giving it its name is what we call the rule in Rice and Asplund. It's a 1979 case where the full court looked at changes to orders and it said that it shouldn't likely entertain any applications to reverse earlier orders. It's The finality of proceedings is important. There's got to be something, a serious step is overturning those orders so there's got to be some significant change circumstances to allow that to be the case. Just a change in jobs, a change in partners, probably not yeah. But if somebody's going to be moving into state or, or if there's a serious medical situation that arises or a very different set of circumstances to that which was at the time of the orders being made, then maybe. And but one
1: of the things that the authorities don't really talk about too much is whether or not something was foreseeable at the time. But mm. but it's what it actually comes up all the time because the judge will ask, why was it this? If you've got a parenting order and you've negotiated and your child is four... And then, but you're after a change because the child is eight. You may not have considered things like high school or those sorts of things at the time, but when you are negotiating a parenting order, you need to be thinking right up until your child is 18.
0: You do. What are going to be the big decisions around that child's upbringing? Where are they going to school? Who are they going to live with? What time will they spend with each parent? Special days, arrangements. All of those things, and as you say, rolling those forward to when the child reaches their majority or or in practical terms, when they start being in a position to properly vote with their feet, which is late teens anyway. Then you've got to factor in relationships with other people, like their siblings. You've got to think about the relationships with other grandparents and stuff. So putting it all together and trying to come up with that. But you do have a role as a parent trying to agree arrangements for your child with your ex. A deep responsibility to think about the future. So get your crystal ball out. And look, again, at the risk of harping on about this, but... Your family law solicitor will help you with that. This is what we do. We look into the future as much as possible when casting out what those orders might be. So if something has been overlooked or if something changes, that's your opportunity then to make your application, to have a go under the get past that threshold of the rice and aspirin matter.
1: How many times have you been able to succeed on, in that, Alex, do you reckon?
0: Oh, yeah, fair few. A fair few, yeah. Life changes. We live in a more peripatetic lifestyle than perhaps we used to. People are bouncing around a little bit more interstate. I suspect that's going to get more and more frequent. Do you it have any
1: recent examples of what you... I've
0: can- got a matter right now that's going on where final orders were made a couple of years ago and one of the parents is now trying to overturn those and my it, it's only just coming into the court now. My reading of the material filed so far—that's to say, the affidavit from her and the one that we're preparing for the other parent—is there really hasn't been a significant change? They just still don't get on with one another. Seems to be the problem. Yeah. The the parent that's agitating for change has changed her solicitors, and that's causing I think a different probably different advice, different different opinions. advice, different approach, different opinions. You know what they say when you put yeah. ten lawyers into a room, you get ten different opinions. Yeah. Uh, and, and an 11th one is available outside the door at cost. But so it, these things are going on all the time. We have a, you know, constant vicissitudes of life as a parent. And if you drop in that factor of people moving into state, people disliking one another, you throw in domestic violence issues as well. And allegations, sometimes baseless, sometimes, my goodness me, yes, the the world is full of litigation, which is why that rule is so important. Yeah. It's to stop people from using trivial things to overturn what should be the arrangements locked in for your children. It's not about you. It's not about your vanity and your ego wanting to change and wanting to control your ex. That's neither here nor there. Try and think about how these constantly shifting arrangements are going to affect your child in the long term.
1: I think that's where the expression you get less for murder comes into it. So if you've got like a couple of, if you've got a kid who's only three and if you've got, a, you're technically bound to stay in the same location potentially until that child's 18, it's a very long time that you're under that control and of a direction of the other party of what they want to do as well because both parties have the same rights. So it's yeah, you probably could if you've... I'm not suggesting anyone kill anyone, but the point is that you can get less for murder. You'd be probably back in, able to move quicker, uh, get in and out of, of jail. None of which
0: is legal advice I hasten no, to add. No, it's not legal <laughs> advice or anything like that. But It's an observation. It's more say, just about, yeah.
1: it's where people, no wonder people go off the rails and go crazy about things because if I was breaking up with my husband and I've got a three-year-old and a six-year-old and if I knew that I would be stuck and... In a spot if I'm lucky I've got family support. I could be someone who has no support and I'm stuck in this place and I'm thinking, God, for however many more years, no what people go and do silly things. It's not it's I can understand where they're coming from sometimes. Anyway, uh, I digress
0: I'm, <laughs> I'm nodding, thinking, Where is this going? But yeah, it, the, it's all right. I guess that going back to what we were talking about as a general theme, if I just summarise that a little bit, which is if you've made final orders for your children, you've got those arrangements are in place, they've been approved by the court or they've been made by the court. You can change that in a couple of ways. You can agree with the other side. You can just say, look, hey, this isn't working anymore, is it? Let's amend this bit. And that might be fine. You could then formally apply to vary the orders and the courts may well approve that if it's by consent. You may make an application which might be resisted, which is what we deal with a lot. Yep. You could, if you're getting on, go back to the idea of the parenting plan and remember that if you have court orders, they can be made subject to a later parenting plan. So do be careful. Make sure you get legal advice from somebody before you sign a parenting plan if you've already got court orders because you could be changing the world without realising it. In your legal world, that is, at least. But agreement is always the best option for you. If things have changed or you perceive they're going to change, then don't sit on your hands about it. Make an approach to the other side. Explain what's happening. Say, hey, look, can we revisit these orders, these arrangements? Try and negotiate an outcome. It's always going to be better when you're communicating more effectively rather than just dropping it on somebody by way of an application. That doesn't help. It usually antagonizes people. It polarizes people. And at the end of the day, you have to co-parent for those children, whether they're 18 18 or 28 or 38, they're always going to be your children and they will know how you behaved in their childhood to one another. Yep. So we're on to philosophy there. Look, that probably wraps up as far (laughs) as we wanted to talk about with some of the changing your mind issues that we got in family law. If you've got any questions about changing orders or arrangements or agreements that you've entered into, please, we'd love to know, just drop us a comment and we'll talk about those specific issues on another episode. Thanks very much for listening to... Split Happens, the Divorce Down Under podcast. Thanks for listening to Split Happens, the Divorce Down Under podcast. If you want to hear more of our episodes, you'll find us wherever you find your podcasts on all good platforms.